Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Friday, July 21st. If you were making a judicial code of ethics, something the Supreme Court does not currently have, what might be in it? Maybe a ban on taking luxury gifts from people who have a political interest in cases coming before the court? Maybe at least disclosing such gifts? Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman, Illinois Democrat Dick Durbin, wants something like that. They are the most powerful judges in America, and yet they are not required to follow even the most basic ethical standards. So Dick Durbin wants that. Republican Lindsey Graham, not so much. This bill is going nowhere. All of us are going to vote no. And so a Supreme Court ethics bill passed the Judiciary Committee yesterday, in which all the Republicans did vote no, but it's got a Democratic majority. But it is expected to die in the full Senate, thanks to the 60% requirement for passage, the filibuster rule. But a Quinnipiac poll shows the Supreme Court has less public respect than any time in the 20 years or so since they started asking the question. So we'll see if this becomes an issue in the 2024 election cycle. If you were making a presidential code of ethics, might it include not asking your lawyer to lie to the Justice Department or not asking your small donor supporters to send money for a defense fund that never existed? Those are some of the things that the New York Times reports Donald Trump might be charged with soon by federal prosecutors now that a target letter, as they call it, has gone out to him. Republican presidential hopeful Nikki Haley, generally supportive of Trump but running against him, is starting to be more critical. It's going to keep on going. I mean, the rest of this primary election is going to be, in reference to Trump, is going to be about lawsuits. It's going to be about legal fees. It's going to be about judges. And it's just going to continue to be a further and further um, distraction. Trump is not a criminal, but he is a distraction from the issues is where Nikki Haley, at least, more or less, is now. By the way, there is some breaking Trump trial news. The judge in the classified documents case in Florida announced a trial date for Trump in May of next year, May in the 2024 election year. So if he is the apparent Republican nominee by then, or if those last primaries that come that late in the season will still matter to who the nominee is, well, they may be taking place at the exact same time as Trump is standing trial as ordered by that Trump-appointed judge, Judge Cannon, uh, for classified document violations. And if you were making a gender code of ethics, what might be in that? Would it include basic reproductive rights for women? A USA Today Suffolk University poll finds, now that the Dobbs decision is a year old, that public attitudes are changing toward becoming more in favor of abortion rights. It says by almost 4 to 1, 23% to 6%, those whose views on abortion have changed in the past year said they have become more supportive of legal abortion, not less supportive. Will that become a decisive issue in the Republican primaries or the general election next year? Well, independent women, one of the most critical swing groups in elections, by 28% to just 5%, said they had become more supportive of abortion rights, that from USA Today. With us now, 
USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, also author of the best-selling books, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power, and The Matriarch, Barbara Bush, and the Making of an American Dynasty. Hi, Susan. Always good to have you. Welcome back to WNYC. Hey, Brian. It's always good to be with you. Your poll's been out for a little while, but let's start there anyway. The Supreme Court last year threw abortion rights out of the Constitution into the political fray. What do you think the news is from your one-year-later poll? Well, one of the things we found is that people are very aware of all the actions states have taken. Uh, some some states, uh, in some blue states, to enshrine abortion rights uh, in their constitutions and in their laws. But in many states, Republican-controlled states, to strictly limit abortions in ways that were not permitted uh, before Roe v. Wade was was overturned. And we found that that has had an effect. About one in four Americans tell us that it has made them, those state actions have made them more supportive of abortion rights than they were before the decision came down. That is surely an unintended consequence of that Supreme Court decision. We've, we also found overwhelming opposition to a federal abortion law that would limit or ban abortions. That's one thing that uh, anti-abortion activists, uh, some of them are pushing for. That included two-thirds of Republicans opposing that law, and a majority, although not that big, not a big majority, supporting the idea of a federal law that would protect access to abortion nationwide. Mm. And so here's an emerging political battleground in the abortion rights debate. This may be flowing below a lot of our listeners' radar. Um, apparently, the Biden administration wants HIPAA law medical privacy protection for women who travel to legal states from illegal states to receive abortions. 19 red states are objecting to the rule. Arkansas is the latest to join. That was in the news the other day. They want law enforcement to be able to see those medical records of women getting out-of-state abortions. Do you think something like that is too in the weeds to break out as a big voting issue, the HIPAA aspect? You know, I think one of the reasons we've seen changes in attitudes toward abortion rights nationwide already is people seeing specific cases of the impact uh, that abortion laws have on the lives of people. I mean, if you think about, you know, it was about a year ago uh, that the USA Today Network broke the story of a 10-year-old girl in Ohio who had to go to Indiana to get a legal abortion after she had been raped. And I think people were... Um, distressed by that, and it made people think about what are the consequences of some of the actions that are being taken. I think that could happen in the case of medical privacy if we find that states that uh, uh, want to take a look at the medical records of women who perhaps tra- tra- travel to an adjoining state to get a legal abortion, if that is open to their purview. Uh, I think that it's, it's a slightly complicated issue, but it's one with a human dimension, dimension that, yes, I think could resonate politically. Yeah, and for people familiar with the basis of the Roe decision from the 1970s that established abortion as a constitutional right, it was based on privacy. So for people in the weeds enough to understand that constitutional debate, uh, which the current court rejected, said there was no right to privacy implied by the Constitution per se, uh, the HIPAA aspect kind of replicates that privacy debate for 
people around the country who might think, yeah, this should be a matter of privacy, just like the birth yeah. control uh, right was established on the basis of privacy. So HIPAA is a medical privacy law, so they put that back into play. And this red state push to see these medical records of women who traveled out of state for abortion services, from what I've read, Susan, no state has, at least not yet, announced that it will prosecute women who travel to another state and received an abortion where it was legal and then returned. Do you have any reason to expect that such prosecutions or state laws enabling such prosecutions are coming? Well, I think it is possible. Uh, if they, if states are allowed to look at medical records of women who travel to other states to obtain legal abortions, uh, the letter uh, that was written by the Mississippi Attorney General that started this appeals process against the proposed rule that the, the Biden administration is, is proposing um, said that at issue was that, that, that the regulation would be unconstitutional because it removes states' authority to enforce their own laws. So it seems to me it at least raises the possibility of action being taken about women who, who travel to other states to get abortion services. And, you know, Democrats can, in Congress last year proposed a law uh, that would have protected the rights of women to travel to another state to get a legal abortion. And that was blocked by Republicans in Congress. And this mm. uh, administrative action by the Biden administration has followed uh, to the same purpose. And I guess why else would these 19 states want law enforcement to be able to see out-of-state abortion records if not to potentially prosecute the woman uh, for getting that abortion. Are you following the push to get more abortion rights referenda on state ballots next year? Theoretically, they could help overturn some restrictive state laws and also help drive Democratic Party turnout. But I've read it's been rough going in a number of states to get these referenda going because Republicans are throwing up legal obstacles and also abortion rights proponents, it's been reported, are not easily agreeing on what the provision should say. Like, should they cite a certain number of weeks? And if so, what should that number be? You know, Roe was roughly 24, but do they even want to set that limit? And if the language should say women or people, pregnant people, do you have any reporting or insight into what kinds of referendums or what the landscape is shaping up to be on this for next year? Yes, Brian, before we talk about that, if I just said one thing on our previous topic, the attorney generals from the the attorneys general from the states uh, that are objecting to this proposed Biden administration do say that there is a criminal component to being able to see the medical records, for instance, to try to pursue sexual assault cases. So there are cases in which they say mm -hmm. it serves a bigger public purpose. And HIPAA does have an exception to medical privacy for criminal cases. So we'll see how that gets sorted out. But yes, it seems to me state ballot initiatives are the next big battleground when it comes to abortion rights, because it is a way that abortion uh, rights advocates can get around uh, the power of Republican-controlled state legislatures and governors to enshrine abortion rights uh, through uh, state action. And we're going to see that uh, in one state this November in this off-year election in Ohio, really hotly contested proposed constitutional amendment in Ohio. And uh, one thing that Ohio is, has passed and the governor has signed a very restrictive abortion uh, ban uh, that is now being contested in the courts. Uh, but we find that we have a USA Today Network Suffolk University poll of Ohio 
coming out on Monday that shows broad public support for this constitutional amendment. And that's why it's been, I think, uh, the avenue that that advocates in some red states see uh, available to tap public opinion on abortion rights and bypass uh, GOP, the laws that some GOP legislatures are passing. Really interesting. Why would Ohio Democrats, if they're responsible for this referendum, put it on the ballot for this year, an off-year election, rather than next year, a congressional election year and a presidential election year, when if it does drive Democratic turnout, it would mean so much more? Well, that's uh, the question not for me to answer, and I don't know the answer to it, but I would say that supporters of abortion rights would say we should act as soon as possible to enshrine abortion rights in our state constitution. You know, it's been in, it, it, this one, th- one thing that's interesting to watch about Ohio. We, we think there are uh, maybe a dozen other states that are looking at what's going to happen in Ohio this November uh, for kind of lessons learned for battles next year on the, in the presidential election year uh, to put state measures on their ballots, uh, you know, including uh, places like uh, Missouri and Arizona and some other states where this effort is uh, is in, in its early stages. Uh, and Ohio, so Ohio has become a, kind of a test case for both sides on how to push for ballot initiatives and also on the effective tactics to oppose them. Really interesting. We'll have to continue to cover that Ohio referendum as Election Day this year comes closer. Makes me remember, Susan, and we've talked about this on the show recently, that Ohio in 2004... When Ohio used to be a swing state, now it's a red state, at least uh, for a while it looks like, um, in presidential elections. When it was a swing state, when that was the decisive state between John Kerry and George W. Bush in 2004, one of the reasons Bush won was that Republicans got a referendum on the ballot opposing gay rights, I think gay marriage in particular, Mm -hmm. And that drove Republican turnout more than it drove Democratic turnout. That's what it was designed to do. And it apparently succeeded. And one of the main reasons, one could argue that it was a decisive reason in and of itself that without that referendum on the ballot, John Kerry would have squeaked by uh, in that state and won the election. Right. So that's a great historical example of the power of referendum to, uh, to swing other elections. And it comes from the same state we're talking about, Ohio. You know, uh, absolutely. I think that that was a lesson learned on the part of Democrats. Karl Rove, uh, George W. Bush's chief strategist, takes credit for trying to push as many states as possible to put opposition to gay marriage on their ballots. That was an issue that really energized uh, Republican turnout then. I think that probably wouldn't to the same degree uh, now on that issue. Democrats saw have seen the power, the political power of the abortion issue since the Dobbs decision, including in in last November's midterm elections, Republicans were uh, disappointed in what happened uh, to their candidates in that election. And both sides think that the power of the abortion issue was one big reason why. Susan, you saw the breaking news just before we went on. The judge in the Trump classified documents case has set a trial date after the two sides went back and forth on how quickly that trial date should be set. And the answer is... (laughs) <laughs> the answer is next May. You know, the judge can split the difference. Uh, the the uh, government wanted to go ahead with prosecution starting in December. Uh, the uh, lawyers for Donald Trump wanted to delay it as long as possible, maybe until after the election. Uh, so this is this is uh, this t- 
trial is now scheduled to begin after most of the Republican primaries will have been held, not all of them, uh, but as we'll be in the middle of a presidential campaign. Now, there was news, which actually was released by Donald Trump himself this week, that he has received what's known as a target letter from federal prosecutors. Can you explain target letter to our non-lawyer listeners and hosts? <laughs> I see people writing that this means he's almost certain to be indicted in connection with January 6th. So a target letter doesn't guarantee you're going to be indicted, but it is traditionally used to signal to someone that they are on the verge of being indicted. And that was certainly the case the first time around with the special counsel, Jack Smith, in the other case that Donald Trump is facing on the alleged mishandling of sensitive documents. So uh, people smarter than me interpret this as meaning uh, that uh, Trump will be indicted. And we think very soon we've been watching for that every day. We need to take a step back and, th and realize what an extraordinary unprecedented and perilous situation we find ourselves in where we're going to have multiple indictments, uh, trials going on during a presidential campaign involving one of the major party candidates uh, where the, we're going to, he'll need to, Donald Trump will need to figure out when he needs to be in court and when he wants to be on the campaign trail. And, and that, uh, that this is the presidential election we have likely ahead of us is uh, it's a lot to take in. And you wrote an article a few weeks ago on USA Today that basically said uh, all these Trump prosecutions, all this evidence, all this stuff, but does any of it matter? And and so far, not so much. Uh, you know, it, we, it, we sat down with Chris Christie yesterday at the USA Today Washington Bureau to talk about his campaign. And, and you know, we talked almost, we talked very little about what Chris Christie wants to do if he's elected president. And of course he's running for the Republican nomination. The hour was dominated by uh, what has happened with Donald Trump, whether it makes a difference with Republican voters. Is there a lane for Christie who's been perhaps the most critical opponent about, about Trump, uh, whether that makes a difference. That is really the state, the state of play we find ourselves in right now. Do you think once we get to this debate on August 23rd on Fox, and we don't know yet who's going to be in it, but let's say Chris Christie is in it. Let's say Nikki Haley, who we described at the top, is starting to distance herself a little bit more from Trump and saying all his legal problems are a distraction from the issues. Do you think we will see any issues difference on abortion rights, on Supreme Court ethics, on anything? Um in addition to their debating uh, Donald Trump's, Trump's fitness for office? Do they really disagree on any issues? Uh, well, let's hope we talk about something besides Donald Trump's legal problems in that debate. Nikki Haley is qualified for the debate, so is Chris Christie. Uh, it stands as a big winnowing moment. Uh, uh, Mike Pence, for instance, has not yet amassed the 40,000 individual donors he needs to show to get on the debate stage. It's not clear whether he's going to make the debate stage or not. But yeah, there there are different uh, there are differences uh, among the candidates on big positions, including, for instance, uh, aid to Ukraine, policy toward Russia, um, uh, dealing with entitlements. There are issues on which these candidates disagree. Uh, on abortion, all the candidates oppose abortion, but uh, they have different uh, views on what the government ought to be doing about it. So, so yeah, and I and I assume that uh, in this debate we'll hear a lot about Trump. 
But I assume we'll also about the issues that will would actually affect Americans' lives once the presidential election is over and the new person takes over. Supreme Court ethics. What's the bill the Democrats have gotten through committee in the Senate, but that is not expected to pass the full body? Well, it would it imposed uh, the first uh, outside ethics rules on on justices. Um, it would uh, require them to uh, 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 disclose uh, gifts that they get. It would impose the same rules that lower court judges now abide by, and it would create a panel of appeals court judges who would review misconduct complaints against the Supreme Court justices. That's been a quite a controversial provision. You know, there's no there's no possibility this gets enacted into law anytime soon. It's really an effort by uh, Dick Durbin, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and other Democrats, to make a point about the failure of the Supreme Court to um, uh, build public confidence that they're following kind of common sense ethics rules. We've had a series of reports about luxury trips and about other financial benefits given to Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, and that's that's eroded what, what was already a court that was under some fire. Right. And USA Today colleagues report the legislation would require the Supreme Court to adopt a code of ethics, the kind already in place for lower federal court judges and other government officials. So it's interesting that other federal court judges have to abide by a written code of ethics, but the Supreme Court justices do not. The USA Today article says the Code of Ethics bill would also set up a procedure for reviewing complaints against justices, creating a judicial investigation panel made up of five lower court judges. Um, And many Republicans, I guess, object to a judicial investigation panel as something that could be made political. Uh, But I guess you're saying they have a point, at least, that this is a Democratic talking point now because it's conservative justices Alito and Thomas who got the luxury gifts uh, that questions are being raised about. Maybe if it was a justice from the liberal bloc, both shoes would be on the other feet. Well, although I think a lot of us were surprised there isn't already some kind of ethics guidelines for Supreme Court justices. I mean, the tradition, I guess, has been that we just trust Supreme Court justices to behave in an ethical manner. But um, the Supreme Court could choose to police itself on this issue by agreeing voluntarily to some kind of uh, ethics guidelines, uh, and that might go a long way to quieting some of the really serious concerns that we hear. And, and also efforts by some Democrats, I personally don't think these efforts are going to go anywhere, to do things like impose term limits on justices or expanding the number of justices on the court. Um, you know, this is part of some Americans feeling like the court is really um, behaving in inappropriate ways in some of these cases and that people ought to do something about it. Uh, But we have a separation of powers, uh, and we'll see if the court itself responds in some ways to these concerns. Susan Page, USA Today, Washington bureau chief, also author of the best-selling books, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power, and The Matriarch, Barbara Bush and the Making of an American Dynasty. She's also now working on a biography of TV journalist Barbara Walters. Susan, we always appreciate it so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks a lot. Hey, you too. Thanks. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.